Good morning. Man, am I excited to get a chance to speak with everyone today. But I must admit, I greatly struggled to come up with a topic for this sermon. The struggle I had actually ended up playing a role in the topic I selected. I've been given the opportunity to teach before and discuss topics that relate to the Bible and our walk with God, but I have not yet had the chance to deliver a sermon. While there is a great similarity between teaching and getting the chance to preach, my mindset focused on what was different. My mind also started to creep into the territory of seeking what I would define as a more worldly success. You see, I started to desire to look good and how and what I would deliver. I wanted to come up with something fresh and profound, something that would show a deep insight that others had not thought of before. And I wanted to deliver this message with the ability to show a high level of proficiency in public speaking. This was most certainly the wrong way to look at this opportunity, and I made things more complicated than they needed to be. And taking a step back, I settled into something that made a lot of the nervousness go away and simplified things quite a bit. I realized that it did not matter if I stumbled through this sermon, had to repeat sentences, lost my place when reading, nor did it really matter if I had something fresh and profound to talk on. The only thing that matters is that what I talk on is true to God's word, and speaks to the importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. If the focus of what I discuss is tied into God's truth, then other issues I had created in my mind really did not matter at all. I ended up taking the advice of some wise counsel who suggested I should talk about how God was working in my life and share something I have learned along the way. And when thinking of this advice, I realized that I had momentarily desired the wrong type of success. And in that moment, I knew what I wanted to discuss this morning. The topic of this sermon is seeking godly success. Godly success is often very different from a secularized form of success, but it is by far more rewarding and it's eternal in nature. Like many things in the Bible, it is quite profound in its simplicity. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 state, Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as if for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that it is from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Pastor Rico Tice spoke to the concept of godly success when he once stated, Success is hearing well done from the only lips that matter, and for that is Jesus. I think Christians can fall into the trap I did and get caught up with the wrong priorities when serving and momentarily lose sight that we can rest easy in the assurance of the one we serve. When you put your focus on godly success, it helps us to avoid these traps. It also redefines who we are truly working for. In giving you the topic of the sermon, I'd like to give you the outline of how the sermon will progress. To start, I would like to share the connection I found between working in a secular job and preparing for full-time ministry. While I used to see these as completely different arenas, I now see them as much closer to the same, as long as we have the correct focus. I then will talk about something we should focus on for godly success when working. And regardless of the field, this focus should be on godly character. And we will break this down into three components. The last part of this sermon will be the two postures we should take as Christians, so that we are ready for curveballs or surprises that might come our way. So, going back to the beginning, I realized a great connection, or bridge if you will, between what I had done previously in a secular field 
which was related to sales, and what I would define as full-time kingdom work. Originally, I had assumed there to be a great divide between the two. I had uh, let a variety of things create this divide, especially my self-perceived status as an amateur Christian who looked at full-time ministry workers as a professional class. But this divide started to wane as I grew in biblical understanding. And by biblical understanding, I do not mean I had knowledge, but instead becoming so familiar with scripture, it becomes part of you, akin to putting on the armor of God. As I grew closer to my Savior, grew more familiar with God's word, and got accustomed to following the Holy Spirit's lead in my life, I realized that in essence, my mission was always the same. This separation I had between lady, and by lady I mean a regular church member, and one in full-time ministry, was never meant to be one of mission, only distinction. When we look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, we see God gave the church leaders. And for the point of this sermon, I am specifically looking at pastors and teachers. And that the role of these leaders is simply to prepare fellow Christians for the works of service as we grow together in fullness of Christ. I had looked at the scripture before, but I had not focused in on the reality that professional ministry might be different than laity in terms of its distinction, but certainly not in mission. We are all on mission together, and together we are under the authority of Jesus Christ as we attempt to live out our mission. So, connecting our jobs to our walk with Christ is the next section of this the sermon that we will discuss. And being on mission is a full-time occupation for a Christian. But I'm going to specifically focus on our work life. We spend a lot of time at work. Uh, roughly, we spend a third of our adult lives at work, the other third at home with family and friends. And if we follow the suggested idea of eight hours of sleep, the other third is spent sleeping. I also think it is commonly understood that we are disciples of Jesus in our homes, but this can become murkier in terms of a secular job, and I wish to simplify this a bit here and dive into the focus and posture we should take in terms of letting the light of Christ shine in our efforts at work. There are two verses I wanted to look at that really helped me bridge my secular career with the idea of full-time ministry. And the first we read earlier, and this is Colossians 3, 23 and 24. We are to make sure that whatever we do, we work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that it is from the Lord we receive our inheritance. So we serve the Lord Christ Jesus, and this is first and foremost in everything we do. The first time this verse really came to context for me was when I worked in a restaurant. I remember clearly the frustration felt when a server worked their hardest only to get a less than desirable tip, and how this frustration diminished their desire to serve well in future efforts. I also remember talking with a friend who was a fellow Christian that this should not be the case. Before working to ensure a solid tip, we should be working to serve others simply because we were representing Jesus Christ and could even look at it as an opportunity rather than a burden to serve others. I have had the chance to give this advice on more than one occasion, but the crux of the advice is always the same. While it was never a positive to work hard and not get a good tip, at least redefining why we work hard gave a new sense of stamina to our efforts. Speaking to simplicity, 
Defining our primary reason for working diligently and well and taking the focus off of ourselves and our reward or tip in this case made the reality of the situation much, much easier to overcome as believers than those who are simply working for a paycheck. This also helps in that it will be impossible to please everyone. And this is a really tough pill to swallow for those who, like myself, are generally people pleasers. But if you carry yourself in a way that you feel is pleasing to Jesus... It helps to overcome the times when you cannot please everyone. A verse that pairs well with Colossians 3, 23 and 24 is 1 Peter 2, 9. This verse states, we were all part of the royal priesthood and that this is essentially an honor as being members of the royal priesthood made us God's special possession. You see, we get the chance to share with others the God who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is really the heartbeat of what our church defines as M3. If you do not remember, we have three M's here at King's Grant. The first M is to become a member. The second M is to realize our role as a minister. And the third M is realizing that ministers are to be on mission. Before we ever work for a boss or a manager, we work for Jesus. The role of Jesus, the role Jesus plays in this equation is really the key to what connected my secular career with a future and focused kingdom work. Earlier in my career, I fully understood that Jesus was the head of the church, but for some reason, I never brought to the front of my mindset that Jesus was also the head of our family company that I worked for. I guess I had a general understanding of this concept, but I still acted Like when I arrived at work, it was my customers I was working for or our CEO. But in reality, Jesus superseded everyone else. Having Jesus as the head of your job is more than refraining from activity that would go against biblical principles and realizing that God sees all that you do. But instead, it's realizing the wonderful opportunity we have to shine the light of Christ with our behavior at work. I had always thought about how my relationship with Jesus made me a better husband, a better father or friend, but I had not spent as much time realizing it also made me a better employee. The reason I was a better salesperson is that having Christ as my Savior allowed me to exhibit, with the help of the Holy Spirit, what I would call a growing godly character. Focusing godly character on godly character in all aspects of life And having a good reputation as the result of countless good actions will face a harsh reality that this reputation can be lost by just one bad action. While this is always true, this is especially true as a salesperson, where your job is essentially to earn the trust of those you sell to so that they wish to buy from you again in the future. Let's be honest. A bad memory or experience leaves a long-lasting impression. I remember a friend who frequented a particular sandwich shop and had countless good experiences, but he lost his appetite for this establishment because of one instance of food poisoning. This means that a focus on godly character is paramount to our success at work. And when I say success here, I do not mean just worldly success, which is fleeting in nature, but in terms of godly success, which is eternal in nature. We want to exhibit godly character, so we are pleasing to God and serve God by our very nature. With the importance of godly character, I want to break this down into three parts so that it is easier to understand. And these components are a focus God work, a focus human work, and a focus inward. The first part we're going to talk about is a focus God work. Now, the driving force behind this component is faith. The more we grow in faith, 
the easier it is to exhibit a character reflecting of a Godward focus. Let's take a moment and define faith, as this is something a Christian can make very complex. In pulling from the words of author Hannah Smith, many will make the mistake of turning faith into a thing, or something only tangible as something that when security can be looked at and rejoiced over as a passport to God's favor, or currency to purchase God's gifts. Yet this is not the case, as faith is something more than just tangible, and the core of faith is simply believing God. Faith is much like our sight in that it is nothing apart from its object. We can't shut our eyes and look inside to see whether we have sight any more than to see if we have faith. You see something and thus you know you have sight. You also believe something and thus also know you have faith. So faith is simply looking at God and believing what he has to say. And the best way to exercise and grow this is to read God's word and read it with an attitude to live it rather than simply learn it. This requires obedience. This requires submission. And it goes beyond just reading. It requires meditating on the word. Francis Chan once stated, pursuing Jesus as the object of our faith would be easier if we treated it the same way we did with Simon Says growing up. Now, Simon Says is doing what Simon states, not learning it or simply memorizing it, but doing it. And often this is not done with Jesus says. Francis related this to parenting. If I were to ask my daughter, hey, Sydney, go clean your room. It wouldn't be acceptable and it wouldn't fly if she came back two hours later when I asked how it went for her to say, yeah, dad, I remembered exactly what you said. Sydney, go clean your room. Or her stating that this week she was going to gather with friends and have a study what life would look like if she had cleaned her room. Yet Christians fall into this way of thinking with scripture. I worry so many fall into the trap where Bible reading becomes a scholastic endeavor or a pursuit of the brain rather than something we grow into as if putting on the word so that it becomes part of us, part of the armor we wear to battle as Christians in everyday life. This really requires meditating on the word, which is an area I've had to purposefully grow in. Meditating on the word is far beyond memorization. Meditating is imprinting God's word on our heart so that we grow into its truth. This requires slowing down, praying over verses, clinging to them with the idea to be obedient to them in our daily routines and letting the Holy Spirit guide us to greater depths. I think we often read too quickly, cover more material than we should at times. And let's think of it as a fire. When one stands by a fire, they don't simply pass by it and in a quick moment receive the warmth. No, you've got to stand and let the heat of the fire radiate over you. And this takes time. So many today find themselves cold when reading scripture because they simply do not take the time to warm themselves in the meditation at reading God's word. If we believe God is who he says he is, which is the foundation of faith, we must strive to grow our faith by reading and also meditating on his word. Realizing we serve God before we serve our boss or customers means we need to first and foremost be true to God's word when we are at work or when we walk. And this leads into our second component, which is a Godward focus. Uh, this leads from our Godward focus into a second focus, which is a human work focus. Sorry, excuse me. If the essence of growing Godward is faith, the essence of growing human word is love. The greatest commandment states, we are to love thy father with all of our heart 
and to love others as we love ourselves. Now, Martin Luther pointed out that we struggle with this concept and can turn the great commandment into the great transgression when we fail to love God with all of our heart. And Luther correctly pointed out that we cannot simply choose to love on command. It is something that must grow in us and be nourished by the Holy Spirit. We grow to love others by growing closer to Christ so that his love for others flows through us. Perhaps no greater demonstration of this is than the visual of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples in John 13, 1 through 17. As Jesus approached his final hour, where he would leave to be with the Father, he took time to pour water into a basin and wash the feet of the disciples and then wipe them dry with a towel he wore. This example of loving and serving others was one, was one Jesus instructed us to follow. We know that 1 John 4.19 states, we love because God loved us first. What we compare with this is that we were given the Holy Spirit not only to help us grow and walk correctly, but more importantly, for the betterment of others as taught by 1 Corinthians 12.7. This scripture states that the manifestation of the Spirit was given to each individual because of the common good. And this is teaching us that the Holy Spirit will guide us how to love others well. While Luther was correct that we cannot simply command ourselves to love others, we can grow into a greater love for others as we grow closer to God. And the closer we grow to God and his word, the easier it will be for the Holy Spirit to guide us into living out the desire to demonstrate the love of Jesus that he showed when he took time to wash the feet of his disciples. When you have cultivated a selfless love for others through growing closer to God, this will also allow you to grow relationally to those who you work with, perhaps even in an evangelical way, as we are sharing the gospel to others with our actions. Growing in this component of godly character was really of great importance, importance to my previous life as a salesperson, as it shows those whom you sell to that they, as a person, are more important to you than simply making a sale. And you grow a sense of trust with them as they realize how much they matter to you. So the idea of growing trust really feeds into the last component of godly character, which is a focus inward. And the fuel to grow in this area is integrity. As we mentioned before, a good reputation is the result of many actions, but it can be lost and ruined by just one bad action. Integrity works the way, this way in that the ability to demonstrate integrity takes consistency in doing what is right. And the Bible gives clear instructions on the benefit of having integrity and also the ramifications of lacking integrity. One example of this is found in Proverbs 11.3 that says integrity will allow us to walk upright and guide our steps, but the unfaithful will be destroyed by their duplicity. We understand the dangers as Christians in being double-minded. And this duplicity starts when we take our focus off of walking with integrity. On the other side of this coin, when we focus on integrity, it will literally guide our steps and help us process and make decisions. We live in a society that is increasingly moving away from the understanding that the ends justify the means. Excuse me, moving towards the understanding that the ends justify the means. But as Christians, we know this is foolishness. We know that how we conduct ourselves is as important, if not more, than the end result. We must take pains to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord and also in the eyes of man. Another important scripture to connect with integrity is Proverbs 10, 9. 
This scripture teaches that it is those who walk in integrity that walk safely, but those who perverts their ways will be found out. So integrity will not only guide our steps and allow us to walk safely, but a lack of integrity destroys trust, our witness, and eventually will be found out by those around us. If integrity can be looked at as an inflated tire, a flat tire rarely occurs from a sudden blowout, but often is the result of a slow leak. And in this concept, we must strive to prevent slow leaks and walk safely with integrity as one who realizes they are working for God first and foremost. So this brings us to the last component of the sermon, which is assuming the posture for godly success. When looking at sports, there's often a stress placed on having the correct posture so that you're not caught flat-footed. I remember the old adage that prior preparation prevents poor performance. In line with that, coaches would spend a lot of time training you to stay in the correct posture so that you were prepared for what was to come. Now, as we look to practice and grow in our godly character, part of our prior preparation is making sure that we have the correct posture, spiritually speaking, so that we can avoid mistakes. In essence, this is purposely leaning in to what we should do so that we can better avoid what we should not. The first posture is humility and being humble in spirit. One who understands the full nature of grace and what it means to be forgiven for their sins and imputed righteousness from Christ cannot be anything other than humble. It is humbling to realize that the ground at the foot of the cross is level for all. All three components of godly character require a strong sense of humility. And the more we lean into being humble, and the more we practice being humble in spirit, the easier it will be for God to use us in a way that brings glory to the Father. Philippians 2.3, which is one of my favorite verses, states that we should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility we should count others as more important than self. Now, it is quite natural for people to be prideful and egotistical, especially when looking at the third of our adult life spent at work. Work is the one place where it can almost feel natural or even celebrated to have a sense of ego that feeds our pride. This is why it is very important we lean away from ego and posture ourselves for a walk of humility. There has never been a person on earth greater than Jesus Christ. And Jesus demonstrated a humble heart in all that he did. Humility takes strength. It takes patience. It takes great self-reflection. And it takes a commitment to serve others in a way that glorifies God. The second posture, it flows from the first. Think of this. What does humility look like in action? Well, an easy way to define this is having a servant's heart. When one seeks to walk humbly and count others as more important than self, we ought to look to serve the needs of others. First and foremost, once again, this connected with my previous job as a salesperson. When a client trusts that you are truly there to serve them to the best of your ability, you often get repeat business unless you're just really not good at your job. But putting that aside, a person who is putting godly character into action will assume a posture of serving others as their main motivation. This is also quite countercultural. A desire to lean into behavior that serves others as opposed to self will be recognized as bringing glory to God. A recent evangelistic effort by Austin Stone Church in Austin, Texas, 
was to send out two equally staffed teams to witness to the surrounding community. The first team was one prepared to witness through what can be described as servant evangelism. This is where they look to build a relationship and in that relationship building, find a need another person had so that they could serve this need. Essentially, they were intentionally blessing others. Now, the other team tried to witness by conversion or apologetic techniques. They basically try to find people who would let them share the truth of the gospel and present a compelling case uh, for believing in Christ. The results were astounding. In the controlled time period they put both teams out, they had 52 responses to the team that blessed others and only two responses to the team that attempted to convert others. Now, in this case, a positive response was one who either took the next step in having a relationship with Christ or they actually accepted Christ as their savior. What we can see is that having a servant's heart is basically looking to bless those around you. And this speaks very powerfully. It gets people's attention. This is especially important for those of us who, like myself, are shy, as even someone who is shy can easily find ways to serve others and share the gospel with their actions instead of words alone. So, as we head towards the conclusion of this sermon, I want to surmise that we have talked about the bridge that connects our secular work to full-time ministry. We have talked about the best way of glorifying God in either form of work, which is to exhibit godly character. And that this guide, this, and that this will guide us towards success in most cases, but more importantly, towards godly success. Now, we have also talked about the correct postures of being humble and serving others so that we are not caught flat-footed in life. I would put forth that these concepts will help to simplify our workplace experience and will really impact those around us, as well as our personal spiritual development. I'd like to leave you with the understanding that these concepts are even more important when going through adversity. Focusing on what we discuss will prepare us for the adversity that we will meet. As this adversity and the affliction that comes with it is not something that can be avoided in life. All of us will experience the affliction of adversity. But having a relationship with Jesus and having God's word on our heart, you see, this will help us take adversity from being a negative to something we should rejoice and find joy in, as stated in James 1-2. Just as adversity is the proving ground of our character, for a Christian, adversity is also the proving ground by where we really grow in our spiritual maturity. We can also rest easy as we look around at our brothers and sisters in Christ and realize they will be there to help us get through adversity as we are all vessels of the Holy Spirit, which was given for the common good. In this, a Christian can redefine a negative into a positive. So as we close out, I think of the words of the psalmist when he said it in Psalms 119.71, that it is good that I have been afflicted so that I might learn your statutes. Now, imagine in Old Testament times where affliction was actually seen as a punishment for sin or improper living. And while this was widespread in thinking in Old Testament times, the psalmist is actually seeing affliction as a good thing. To connect this to the life of a New Testament Christian, when we go through struggles, it will help uh, take the scriptures we have learned from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge, and we will grow. We will spiritually develop and we will progress in fullness of Christ. 
So maybe we leave, may we leave here today with a focus on godly character and take the posture of one who is humble and looking to serve others. And we will be pleasing to God and sustain godly success, which in the end is the only success that matters, as is the only form of success that is eternal.